Hi, this is Zoe Routh, and I help CEOs and leaders work on the people stuff in leadership, which, face it, is the toughest stuff in leadership, and also the funnest stuff in leadership. So this question has been coming up a lot lately. How do you lead through uncertainty? And how do you know you're on the right track? My guest today is Ian Taylor, and he has spent a lifetime pondering those questions and coming up with good responses. He is the executive director of Cotton Research and Development Corporation. And we met about eight or nine years ago when I was facilitating a leadership program called Trailblazers at the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. So I've been across his leadership development journey uh, for almost a decade now. And it was such a rich conversation that we had. I'm so excited to share it with you. In his role as ED at Cotton RDC, there you go. How some how those acronyms for you? They have faced drought and then been whacked with COVID-19. So drought in the cotton industry, and particularly for his organization, has had a huge ramification from a financial point of view uh, because their organization is funded partially by levies on the crop. So with drought, there's less crop, there's less revenue. And from a social psychological perspective, the impact on their stakeholders, the farmers, is huge. So he's been contending with all this and now COVID-19. So in our great conversation, we talk about how to learn from mistakes. So Ian's a keen learner and he shares his strong strategic approach to learning and leadership um, with us. He talks about how to bring innovation to life and what questions to ask to see if you're actually on the right track when you are just facing down uncertainty and you're not sure if things are gonna work out well or not. Ian worked in the Air Force before becoming a research scientist and he has worked around the globe in lots of different organizations before arriving here in Australia to work in Narrabri where he grows pecans and runs prime meat lamps. <laughs> so it's like lamb with nuts, I love it. So let's get started. And by the way, if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it. It's a wonderful way to help other leaders learn. If you share it, you like it, that's awesome. And it's a great way to get your karma points up. All right, let's do it. Welcome to the show, Ian. I'm so delighted to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, thank you very much, Zoe. I'm really looking forward to it too. And also looking to explore leadership uh, some more uh, with you and increase my learning as well. Well, you've been on a massive leadership journey. I think we first met, it must be eight or nine years ago, I think. Um, it's been some time since we first met. And in that time, you've gone through different roles in the organization at Cotton RDC. And I'm curious about what you think of leadership. So how do you define it? And when did you discover you could actually do it? So look, I think at a really simplistic level, you could say that leadership is about inspiring and motivating people to achieve organizational and business objectives. But for me, it's actually a lot more than that. For me, it's actually about a deeply personal relationship with the people in our organisation. It's really about, as a leader, understanding people, really understanding what their values are, what motivates them, what beliefs they have and what they aspire to achieve in life. And then how do you actually marry that together with what, as an organisation, you actually hope and want to achieve. So for me, leadership is about understanding these attributes of the people that you work with and then using this understanding to craft a vision for the future. Something that appeals and resonates to, to everyone within the organisation 
and everyone within your team? And then what are the opportunities to then motivate, inspire, encourage and discuss? So let me just uh, pause because I did I give you a two barrel question <laughs> and I will come to your experience. I'm curious about this one. Like, so if, if a big part of leadership is figuring out what people's values are, and what's important to them. Do you have a particular method that you go about discovering this? Like, or is it you through observation or how do you actually figure it out? So, so it's a little bit of both, but also we have actually used um, some HR techniques. So Berkman assessments, I've taken our leadership team through the LEA 360 evaluations as well. So that what we're trying to do is really get a good understanding of our team. Um, we've had a lot of discussion around values and our value set and together we crafted um, what the values of our organisation are and then we actually hold each other accountable uh, to those values. So we actually talk about our value set a lot from an organisational perspective. And then we challenge ourselves in terms of are we being true to our values and are we living our values in terms of actually how we have conversations and how we actually work together as a team. So we have a very um, open and I guess uh, transparent communication system within the organisation, something from a cultural point of view that I have strived to work through in the last couple of years uh, whilst leading CRDC. That's um, not every team gets there, you know, to call each other out, you know, to have that conversation is, are we living our values? Are you? Did you? I noticed that you didn't. How do you actually have that conversation? Have you had, have you had a conversation that was challenging that way where you've discovered that you or one of your team members isn't maybe living up to what you're expected and how did it go down? Yeah, so, so we actually have. Uh, and I guess one of the things that I encourage my team to do is to actually challenge quite strongly in terms of if they think we are not living to our values. And so, yes, I have actually been called out, you know, in terms of, and it's great because that's actually what I want to see in an organisation. If we are not living to our value set, then call us out on that and hold us to account uh, for what uh, we are doing and what people think we should be doing uh, from a value uh, proposition. And, and it's great. We've got a, a team that is quite diverse and we've got uh, some members that are more vocal than others. Part of the challenge has been to enable those that are less vocal to vocalise their thought and to express them and to, for them to be comfortable knowing that that is not something that they're going to get in trouble for. You know, I think that's one of the, the challenges is people often come into a situation and they are fearful that if they express truly what's on their mind, that, that may not go down well. So what we've worked um, to achieve over the last couple of years is to break down those barriers and to be honest in terms of our feedback and in terms of the conversations that we have. And we've also worked through, you know, what is the point early? So if something's not going well, let's call that out early rather than allowing it to snowball into a major issue down the track. So, so these have been some key learnings for us as an organisation and as people working through, well, how do you actually live out your values in a real sense? What was that like for you when one of your team members called you out and said, hey, Ian, what are you doing here? Uh, what was your initial response and how did you process it productively? Well, well, initially it can be confronting because you, you are being challenged. You think, 
I guess your immediate response is a defensive kind of posture. And one of the things that I guess I've learned is, no, what people really are trying to do is be true and be honest in terms of their feedback. So for me, it's actually about being open to that suggestion and then think, well, okay, how should I have responded to that? Or what do you think I wasn't living in terms of our values? And how do you think I could have actually handled that situation better? And I think that for me, this is the whole point of leadership. We don't wake up as leaders. One day I don't decide that I'm going to be a leader. Our leadership is a learning experience the whole way through. And we've known each other for eight or nine years. And I think the great thing about leadership is you never stop learning. There is never something that you can't be doing better. But the only way to do better is to be very open and sincere uh, in terms of your leadership approach and recognise that we all have strengths and weaknesses. And it's actually a good thing that people have the courage to be able to call you out. So for me, I take that as them being courageous, not in them uh, being negative toward uh, my leadership. Well, it takes some cur- it takes some personal courage to, to actually su- suck it up and listen, and to um, and to process it like that. So very good. Kudos to you. So let's <laughs> you. Um, come back to that first question, the second part of the first question, which is right. So when did you figure out that you could actually do the leadership thing? Yeah, so, so look, that is a really good question. And I guess it comes back to that point that none of us are born leaders. And so I've made very conscious decisions in my career, um, which has been quite diverse and quite varied, to put myself into positions where I would be forced to grow and forced to increase, uh, I guess, my leadership experience. And part of that is is... Now, how can I become a better leader and be open to the fact that what you really are on is a learning journey? And for me, it's about self-examination, self-awareness, and really thinking about how can I become a better leader? So some examples of that are, I was brought up in a very conservative English home and I joined the Defence Force. I spent 12 years in the Air Force. And when I left that, I went to Union And one of the great things that I enjoyed about going to university was it actually exposed me more to a lot of critical thinking and probably some self-reflection and self-examination of why do I hold these particular views that that I have and then how can I shape my views based on new understanding and new experiences. That obviously flowed into a PhD and then I ended up as a research scientist uh, with the Cotton Research Institute Again, for me, that was really thinking about, well, well, how do I influence my team? Because I ended up coming straight out of university to managing a team. And I'd never actually really done that in that true professional sense where I was fully accountable and responsible for what we were to deliver. And so that took me a little bit of time to sort of work out again what was the dynamic of the team that I actually had because I inherited that team. I didn't actually have choice in shaping that team. So how did I actually get the best out of that team? Um, How did I bring them up to speed in terms of experimentally, what did I want to achieve and what did I want to show? Um, And then I've used that as a basis then to move into the CRDC. So I joined the Cotton Research and Development Corporation in 2005 and 2008. And again, that, that was around 
understanding and then learning to influence more broadly in terms of my dynamic, but also being challenged by you know some of the research fraternity that I used to work closely with. Well, why do you why do you have this particular point of view? What are you trying to achieve at a program level? And, and from an industry perspective, what is it you're really trying to deliver? In 2008, I left the Current Research and Development Corporation and I joined a large multinational and so I led a team in Australia and then I uh, moved from Australia to Asia Pacific. And again, that was actually a very key learning experience for me around culture and really understanding the importance of culture but also how different cultures that exist around uh, the world influence the way different people respond to, uh, I guess, you know, uh, objectives and vision and goals. Where were you? Where were you in the so, Asia-Pacific? So I was based in Singapore, but I had yeah. teams in Thailand, in Vietnam, worked in Korea, in the Philippines, in Indonesia. So I had teams, you know, quite broadly dispersed and so interacted with a range of different cultures around uh, Asia-Pacific. Yeah, and those kind of situations are ripe for opportunities for learning, <laughs> as in what I often call stepping in doggy doo doo. Yeah, yeah, um, well, it is. You know? <laughs> and, and I guess one of the things is that I've always tried to allow myself to do is to actually make mistakes and learn from mistakes. Um, you know, I think as leaders, we're often challenged by a fear of failure, and so so what I've granted myself is this freedom to fail or to to not get things right but to really try and understand and learn from uh, those experiences and then how do I capitalize on that for later and I guess one of the things when I came back to to Australia it gave me a, a much greater appreciation for indigenous culture and whilst I would no way profess you know that I have any expertise or great understanding of Indigenous culture, what it really has done is open my eyes to perhaps the way I thought about uh, Indigenous interaction in the workplace versus the way I do now. And it opened, I guess, a greater sensitivity to me in terms of there are a whole range of uh, cultural expectations and a whole range of, I guess, uh, cultural aspects that I probably didn't think of before. And so when we start thinking about you know, what are our innate biases and how do we work through those innate biases, then that experience that I had in Asia Pacific, I think really helped uh, set me on that pathway to understanding that journey more, more completely. So what did you, like, can you give me an example of where you've, you've stuffed it up? <laughs> so, you know, if you give yourself freedom to fail, what is one of those, like, oh my God, I stepped in it and I'm, this is going to be a learning experience. Can you think of one that was really powerful for you? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that I did, I think I was working with a team in Indonesia and, and I just set some expectations around you know, we need to be delivering a particular outcome uh, by this uh, due date. And I chatted to the, um, the technical lead and had buy-in uh, from the technical lead. But what I really didn't appreciate was that behind the scene, one is that... that team didn't actually have the resources to deliver but also they had a country lead that actually had different expectations and uh, different goals that he'd also set for that particular team 
So I would check in uh, with that group on a weekly basis and ask, you know, how are we going? Are we on track to deliver? Um, are there any issues that we had? And, and all the way through the journey was, yes, look, we're, we're on track, we're on time. When it actually came to finalise the project, and then I went back to the, the team lead to say, okay, now uh, I need the report and the results. The team lead was missing in action. And that was, that was a, a very strong awakening to me that I hadn't appreciated the cultural uh, sensitivities around what that team was, was dealing with. And what they were doing was they were telling me what I actually wanted to hear, not really what was going on. And so that to me was, you know, did I then actually have a good personal relationship or, or was I really thinking about, okay, I'm the leader and what I'm giving you is a set of instructions versus am I really understanding you and what motivates you and what motivates your team and do I really understand what the background influences there? So for me, I was unable to deliver then to the higher level of expectation that the organisation had placed on me. So for me, that was something where you, know, you could say, well, I didn't deliver and therefore I actually failed in, the, in achieving a particular objective, which is around, you know, whether or not we could deliver a particular technology into a country at, at that time. And that has significant business implications for an, uh, a multinational, as you can appreciate. So then what I did was I actually went into country and spent some time working with that team and actually listening and understanding well, I guess that's one of the, the key attributes, I think, of a good leader is being able to listen and to understand what is really going on and to ask the right questions. Now, we can assume that we know a lot, but the reality is unless we actually take the time to, to understand the people we're dealing with and we actually have that really strong personal connection, then I think there is a big opportunity for miscommunication and misalignment of what we're actually trying to, to achieve strategically. How do you pick the right questions? Yeah, yeah. And again, I think that that is, is really around um, understanding and being open. And it's kind of like this conversation we're having now. Now, intuitively, it's about listening and probing and seeking to, to explore and, and to to understand more deeply, and that's what I guess the approach that I use is, is how do I actually understand uh, where you're coming from? So what are the questions I need to actually probe deeper into why you're at the position that you are currently in? And I do that with my team um, now. So so we, we have a range of different interactions. So you know, we have a, a broad open staff meeting, but I also like to connect uh, at least once a week with every member of, of my team. And that's really to understand well, what's going on in their lives, what's actually happening in, in their job. Are there things that, that I can uh, understand uh, from that uh, conversation of challenges that they're facing or things that aren't working well that we can actually explore together and actually uh, evolve or derive better solutions that actually help us achieve together what we're actually wanting to, to deliver. What do you find difficult now? I mean, that was like stumbling through faux pas and figuring out uh, what's really going on now. In your role as ED, which you've been in for 
a year and a half? Yeah, two no, years? no, no, just just over twelve months actually. So yeah, so uh, April was my uh, appointment uh, date into the ED role. So so look, I suggest that I'm very much a, a novice, you know, at the senior leadership leadership role. And one of the great things is I continue to learn. So what do I find um, hard? You know, if I characterise this last 12 months, I think it's been a very interesting experience. We started off with drought, probably one of the most intensive droughts that we've seen, and that has big impact um, to CRDC's, you know, finances. So, so really thinking about, you know, what's our strategy and how do we manage through that? We've had a couple of um, RDC reviews. We've had a, a major probity audit by the Australian National Audit Office. And then we're just starting to come out of drought and we find ourselves obviously into COVID-19. So from a learning experience, I don't think I could have asked for a richer experience in my first 12 months as an executive director. <laughs> careful, careful, knock on wood. You never know what else could they could throw yeah, at you. Yeah. And, and, and that's true, but, but I think like, you know, what a great experience to, to really think about, well, is my strategy right? Is my communication with my team effective? And are we actually on, on the right track? What do I find hard is probably overcoming self-doubt that we actually really are on the right trajectory and we have taken the time to think about where we want to be. I, I guess one of the things when I was you know, in the general manager R&D role that we did was we spent some time with Melbourne Business School to really think about what is the future we actually want to create for the cotton industry and what are the challenges we see along the pathway. And, and some of that is being very open and honest with ourselves about, I think the cotton industry is a fantastic industry and I'm really proud to be associated with the industry. That doesn't mean we get everything right all of the time. And so one of the things for me is being really open about what are some of the things that we potentially don't get right? And some of that revolves around our social license. And so how can we do those things better than what we currently do? And, and the thing is that if we're not honest about what we're not doing well, then we will actually never be thinking about well, what do we need to do to rectify it or to challenge our thinking or to do things in a, in a different way. And so when we went to the Melbourne Business School, we really thought about, well, what is the future that we want to create and how do we actually create that future? The great thing about that then is that you have a direction and you kind of you have a compass that's set in a, a particular way and, and it doesn't matter then, you know, whether it's drought or whether it's COVID-19, you actually have a plan and then what you're doing is modifying your plan uh, based on impact or risk of those things that are thrown your way. So for me, it's just ensuring that, and it's the sensitivity around, how do I know that I'm reading the environment in the right way? Do I fully understand what potential impacts on the business are of drought or COVID-19? What's the impact on our stakeholders and what's the pain that our stakeholders are feeling? Because the success of CRDC is actually based on the relationship we have with our researchers and the research fraternity that we work with, our research partners, but also for our growers and those that want to implement the research outcomes, uh, making sure that they're actually a really good fit for their business. So for me, it's, it's what's the critical feedback and what are the critical networks 
that I need to be attuned to to ensure that we're meeting the expectations of our industry. And also, I think the cotton industry and CRDC specifically has a role in the national interest. And it's really ensuring that we are delivering to the national interest. And, and that means many things to, to many people. But I think we have a role and responsibility to our community and to Australia as a whole to ensure that the science we invest in is really delivering the solutions and the answers that meet both our grower need and also the needs of the Australian public. Those are some really rich, deep questions about from the, the original one. Am I on the right track? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's like, hmm, how do you know? And uh, so I just wanted to pick out what you said there that I thought was particularly valuable. You know, it's asking that question, am I on the right track? It, without any qualifiers can be a bit, it can leave you hanging. And so what you went through is like, have I understood the impacts correctly? Do I understand my stakeholders correctly and the impacts on them? Do we have the critical networks in place? Do we get the feedback right from the areas that we're looking at? So it's quite a complex web of factors that you're incorporating in the assessment of I am, am I on the right track or not? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is pretty, it's not black and white. It's pretty gray in all of that. It, it is. And, and I guess this is, you know, one of the challenges that we face is that it's quite nebulous. One of the, I guess one of the things we've done as an organisation is really think about our team and our team makeup. And what we've done is change the way in which we, we are structured. Um, and we've brought people in with very specific skill sets, but not necessarily in full-time roles. So what we've tried to be is more agile and responsive in terms of how we operate as a business and as, a, as an organisation. And so an example of what we've done is we have a really terrific uh, guy working with us uh, on measurement and evaluation. And that's a co-shared position between CRDC and Sugar Research Australia. So two RDPs really? working in different areas. But, but the, the whole basis of this is, well, how do we measure? Like, what are the right metrics? How do we measure our impact? How do we actually understand, um, you know, are we delivering? And, and how do we do that in real time? And so we're working through that particular avenue. We've brought some uh, terrific other people into our organisation. And I will say, you know, diversity is key for us as an organisation. 65% of the CRDC's makeup are women. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. And, and I'm very proud of what they actually bring to, to the organisation and the challenges that they throw at us as, as uh, a leadership but also how the organisation is evolving around equality and uh, diversity and diversity of thought. And so a couple of those new positions are also part-time. We have people that work remotely and are actually directly connected to uh, grower groups and newly developing areas. And so we get direct feedback from them and the growers that they're associated with to actually help us ascertain well are we actually hitting mark and they they will come to us and they will say things like we're not really well connected to to growers and we're not really in the field understanding you know what our growers are going through and and the pain around a particular point so we need to be spending more time in the field and actually understanding aspects from their perspective if we actually then want to create uh, new solutions so one of the things we've done uh, as a team is to really start thinking about how can we 
better define what the issue is that we're trying to solve. And also then who are the right people we need to be bringing into a room to discuss the problem. But also then thinking about, well, who are the right people we need to be bringing together to think about, well, how do we develop the solutions to that? And a lot of that is around not necessarily doing things in a, in a traditional way, but how do we actually disrupt that mechanism of, uh, that we've previously employed? And how do we bring new perspectives and new viewpoints? And can we do this at a global level as much as we do it at a local or a uh, national level? to bring different thinking and different viewpoints to the issues we're trying to, to solve. And that includes going outside of agriculture and outside of cotton. Can we link up with the finance sector and can we link up with the medical sector or the mining sector? And what are the learnings that we can bring in through some of the things that they've done to innovate uh, how we will approach you know, our research efforts uh, in cotton. How do you go about doing that? So if you're looking at outside of the cotton industry and you're looking at sectors that are seemingly unrelated, how do you actually go about tapping into that wisdom? Is it a research project? Do you, get, do you bring people into the organization to talk to you? How does it work? Yeah, so, so we're actually working with a group now to actually develop processes around how we can actually interact and how we can actually identify who are the right people that we need to be talking to. We are going outside and we've done this previously. We actually ran some workshops around, you know, what are the future needs and how do we um, identify a future for the Australian cotton industry. And we brought people from the telecommunications industry, we brought people together from the mining industry and we just asked the questions, what's going on in, in your industry and what do you think that could potentially What's the impact of that, do you think, for agriculture? I'm also involved in a group called the Cotton Innovation Network, and we go to different organisations and to different areas, and we uh, specifically ask questions around, well, what is actually going on in this particular uh, sector and how might we learn from that? So the last uh, meeting we had was actually up at Wagner's Airport in Toowoomba. And we actually worked, uh, you know, had a workshop with the Wagner group around, well, what have they done and what have they achieved and what was the new innovations that they brought to, say, remanufacturing concrete? And then thinking about, well, how, how might that uh, broaden our thinking in terms of agricultural research? One of the other groups that we met with at that same time who happened to be part of the Wellcamp Innovation uh, Centre was uh, Atlas, which is part of the FKG group, uh, which again is you know, a, a broad construction group, but you know they are looking at data, data analytics and innovation and bringing that to the cotton industry. And they're big cotton growers themselves. So they are really thinking about, you know, how do they drive innovation in, for their particular businesses? But for me, it's about, you know, how do I expose members of the cotton industry to some of that thinking? And then how do we learn and how do we bring some of that creative thinking and some of those processes into how do we conduct our business ourselves? And so currently um, the CRDC, the R&D team, are working through a defined process of how can we explore this in a deeper way uh, and how do we develop uh, processes so that, you know, when we're talking about, well, what are the big issues that agriculture is facing? So if we think about climate change, now, how do we address that? And what's the scale that we need to be involved in? And how do we bring collaboration? And how do we work out who are the right partners to be working with 
to solve some of these big issues for, for agriculture. And collectively, if I think about, you know, the RDCs are an amazing network, have some incredibly talented people uh, working with them. How do we harness that, um, that power and that collaboration and the willingness to collaborate to really address and bring some focus to those key issues that, are, that are will influence Australia in, in the very near and long-term future? I love how deliberate and intentional that whole process around innovation and tapping diverse opinion and diverse perspective is. I think it's invaluable. Um, so credit to you and to the industry to do that. And I think uh, in agriculture in Australia, cotton is is a very successful sector and uh, and has faced so many different challenges from, as you mentioned, social license through to drought and is incredibly well resourced from its people power. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think there's some awesome people in, in cotton and um, it's great that you guys are running innovation like this. I have a question. And of course I have questions. This is the interview. Oh, this is great. <laughs> um, the question I have is you're obviously focused and passionate learner and you treat leadership as a learning journey. Is there a particular framework or resource that you keep coming back to again and again that's like a really important thing for you? So, um, so there are, and look, I will say this quite genuinely. I think the experience that I had with the Trailblazer um, course through the Rural Leadership Framework. Um, rural Leadership Foundation, Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. <laughs> Just thanks, Ali. Yep. Yeah. But, but I thought like the, the, the experiential learning there was second to none. And as you are aware, you know, the group that we went through, we still connect on an annual basis um, and we still connect via video conference. And that is something that I have found absolutely invaluable over time in that, you know, there is freedom to explore and to test and to think about, you know, how do we learn more? Now, as a group, we've run through things, you know, through emotional intelligence and, and how do we apply that to our respective fields, challenging our viewpoints on, you know, I think this is going on in my team. How do I test that more deeply? Or you know, how do I have those difficult conversations? Because they're things that, that we all need to do as leaders. So that has been something that I think is is invaluable. The other thing for me is, you know, I do read read a lot. Um, you know, one of my favourite books currently is Jordan Peterson's um, you know, 12 Rules for Life. Um, it's an antidote to chaos, which really just does help think about uncertainty and how do you actually manage through uncertainty and the realisation that, you know, most of us deal with uncertainty and and it's how do you craft confidence in terms of your journey when trying to deal with um, things like uh, uncertainty. So, so they're probably, you know, it's that, that reading and, um, you know, I use audio books a lot because prior to COVID-19 was travelling a lot. So I use that to influence, you know, my perspective and my views around uh, leadership. But also, you know, I, one of the things that I also really value is, is my team. And this thing about uh, challenging, you know, my viewpoints, I actively encourage uh, my team to, to challenge my thinking because one of the worst things, and I often say this, the worst thing for me in the world would be that we were in a meeting and everyone's nodding their heads saying, yes, I agree, and then everybody leaves the meeting and 
says, you know, what a disaster, what is this guy thinking and where are we going? Um, so actively encourage people to voice their opinions and to challenge the thinking of uh, myself as the executive director, but also the executive team as a leadership, um, that we should be actually having open, transparent conversations. And if there are issues, then, then we should raise them and uh, uh, address them uh, directly and, and very, very honestly, and, and to the satisfaction of the people that, that uh, are raising those questions. Because as I mentioned before, it takes a lot of courage for people to raise issues and we should see that as a gift, not as a challenge to, to what we're trying to achieve. And so really thinking of it like that, that it takes great courage for, for people to come to you and say, look, I don't agree or I'm unclear as to why you want us to go down this pathway. Um, so that to me is an invaluable uh, experience and, and I value the team in being able to raise that. Wonderful. Last question for you. What's the best piece of advice you were ever given? Oh, um, <laughs> that was an unexpected question, actually. <laughs> uh, look, look, I think the best piece of, of advice for me is to be genuine and to be honest. And in your, I guess, authenticity, people will see you being authentic People can read very quickly if you are not being authentic. So as difficult as it can and while circumstances can be challenging, uh, being an authentic leader to me is probably the, the best thing that I can actually aspire uh, to be. That's a lovely sentiment at the end and great words of wisdom and advice for everyone. <laughs> Ian, thank you so much. That was awesome. I, I could talk to you for hours. I really enjoy your perspective on everything and the humble way about which you go about trying to do good in the world and, and showing up every day to be better. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Zoe. Well, I totally love that interview. I love talking to Ian. He obviously spends a lot of time in reflection and focusing and in the humble disposition of a leader who learns and leader who is keen to learn and keep on learning. I love his leadership philosophy and approach. The key takeaway for me was his story around what Continent Innovation Network is doing to foster innovative ideas and to get a cross-section of perspectives. I think going out to other industries and asking those questions about what's happening in your sector, what do you think is playing out, what do you see happening, is invaluable because we can get so easily caught up in navel-gazing and just looking at what's happening immediately around us instead of getting innovation and inspiration from others who are doing things just a wee bit differently just across the road. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you did, please share this episode. It helps leaders learn and it gets your bonus karma points up, which is all important. All right. Thank you very much. And in the meantime, live well, lead well.